This evening we will be continuing in the Gospel of Mark and uh, be meditating upon chapter 4, verses 21 to 41. Um, this portion is simply taken because I was trying to break the Gospel into pieces that will be about the right length for Lecture Divina. But it really goes over a bit of a boundary. Uh, we had the parable of the sower, the seed, the last time. And now we have a whole series of little parables, including the famous one of the mustard seed. And that brings to an end a certain section. After that, we then have an action, and that is the storm, and our Lord uh, calming the waters and bringing peace in the midst of chaos. These two pieces are, are important. They both represent what we frequently find as we meditate upon the word of God, particularly in the Gospels. The, the parables are ways of teasing us and stretching us and engaging us, making us figure out what it is that the Lord is saying to us. This is much simpler, much more effective than simply saying it because the Lord engages us, makes, uses, makes us to use our imagination and say, what on earth is he saying? And in finding then what we struggle so hard for, we will be able to appreciate it more and go more deeply into it. That's true of all parables. Some of them are rather straightforward, as for example, the sower and the seed, some on good ground, some on bad ground, and so on. Even the, the mustard seed is pretty straightforward, at least on the surface. But there are a few parables that are just so confusing and so tight and intense that they really tease us into thinking. And that's, I suppose, what they're there for. That's why our Lord taught that way. It said he only taught in parables because he didn't want to just simply lay out the gospel to them. He wanted to have them wrestle with it. This is sort of like in, many years ago, I, I studied Old English literature. And there are many different forms of literature in that form of writing. But one that's very important are the riddles. And people would be trying to figure out the riddles. Uh, and a great, of course, a great uh, teacher of Old English, J.R. Tolkien, uses that theme in some of his own writing. Because when you try to figure out the riddle, you eventually gain more fully that which you struggle for more intensely. And so we certainly see that in the parables uh, of today, this evening's portion of scripture, a few of which are, are a little hard to figure out. And it's rather consoling to read some of the different commentators and find them coming up with quite different interpretations of what it means. So we continue to delve into that. The second portion is the, the miracle of our Lord stilling the, the waters in the midst of the storm. And that's where it's important for us as we enter into this period of prayer to reflect upon the fact that water and the sea in the sacred scriptures, especially the Old Testament, were, were not, not a friendly place. The people of Israel were more land lovers than seafarers. You think of the waters of, of uh, the chaos at the beginning of creation. We think of Jonah and the whale. This wasn't a good place to be, the great storm. And then Jonah offers to be thrown overboard to bring peace. There is chaos that we do not control. And that is still true, of course, of the ocean and of all the forces of nature, a point not quite caught by the captain of the Titanic, but it's, it's true. Uh, we do have to be a little, don't take for granted that full steam ahead, well, technology will take care of us. So this, the sea, uh, it's true in the Sea of Galilee, there are frequent storms, fair enough. But there's something more than that. It is the forces of chaos which are instantly put in order by the word of God, of our Lord Jesus himself. And we need to think about that as a sign as we reflect upon chaos and order, evil and good, uh, discord and harmony in our own lives. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we ask you to send your Holy Spirit upon us, that we may know these words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and these actions of his, that they may illumine our minds so we may know you more fully, touch our hearts so we may love you, 
and move our hands to serve you more faithfully. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Heavenly Father, take away from us those barriers of sin and ignorance which block up the pathway to our hearts. Let your word enter into us that we may know you and love you and serve you. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. And he said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a bushel or under a bed and not on a stand? For there's nothing hid except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If any man has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, take heed what you hear. The measure you give will be the measure you get, and still more will be given you. For to him who has will more be given, and from him who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed upon the ground, and should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should sprout and grow, he knows not how. The earth produces of itself. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable can we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown upon the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes the greatest of all shrubs and puts forth large branches so that the birds of the air can make their nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great storm of wind arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care if we perish? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. He said to them, why are you afraid? Have you no faith? And they were filled with awe and said to one another, who then is this that even wind and see, obey him. And he said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a bushel or under a bed and not on a stand? For there is nothing hid except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If any man has ears to hear, let him hear. There's nothing secret but will come to light. At the simple level of moral living, this is a good thing to keep in mind. It's the newspaper principle of decision-making. Always be glad to, any kind of thing you do, would you be happy to have it on the front page of the paper? If so, you're okay. 
The other form of that is, would your mother be happy to see what you're doing? And that's, both of them are very good principles for, for decision making. And this is at the purely moral level, which is one way in which we interpret scripture in the ancient tradition. What does it say to us? Is a lamp brought in to be put under a bushel or under a bed and not on a stand? For there is nothing hid except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If any man his ears to hear, let him hear. Some of the early fathers of the church as one of their motivations for um, good living, they say, remember the, the final judgment day, everything we do will be made known to everyone else and you don't want to be embarrassed. So again, a motivation, not the best, not perfect contrition, but it'll help if it'll get you there. So in a certain sense, we do need to reflect upon that, that we need to be transparent within the limits of what is appropriate to be private. I remember a very wise person saying that when he was talking to seminarians, he was a formator of seminarians, he had a very wise line. He used to say to them, as a priest, and this will go for all of us, as a priest you have a right to a private life, but you do not have a right to a secret life. There's a lot of wisdom in that. Each one of us has a right to a private life, but we don't have a right to a secret life where we would be ashamed of what we are doing being public. And nor do we have a right to a double life, two secret lives. One is not acceptable, two of them are worse. We don't need that. So on one level, this speaks to us very profoundly of something that is a good guide for our living of life. We need to be transparent. Institutions need to be transparent, like banks, for example, and groups doing various things. They need to be open and public officials and so on, but privately as well in our own personal lives. We have a right to a private life, but not to a secret life. So with that upon us and reflecting on that dimension of this, let's meditate upon this. What does it say to our head, our heart, and our hands? And he said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a bushel or under a bed and not on a stand? For there is nothing hid except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If any man has ears to hear, let him hear. What does this say to each of us? But there's another way of reading this, which is very much at the heart of the gospel, especially the gospel of Mark. It actually says, if a lamp comes in, is it put under a bushel? It's a very strange way of writing in the original language. And it, does the lamp walk in the door? We don't have many walking lamps, so that's not quite what it means. But it, it serves a hint to us that it's not just that moral issue about living transparently and so on, uh, not being afraid of being known. It's more than that because the light is, the light came in the darkness and the darkness did not accept it, did not comprehend it, did not grasp it, overcome it. The light, the lamp is, is Christ. So the lamp comes, is it to be put under a bushel? or under a bed and not on a stand? For there's nothing hid except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If any man has ears to hear, let him hear. And this too is, is very much probably the main meaning of what our Lord is saying here. The light comes into the darkness and the darkness does not overcome it, even though in the Gospel of Mark, he often has what we call the secret, the messianic secret. He said, don't tell anyone because he's not quite ready for it to become made known. But it must be made known. It's meant to be made known. He comes so that we may have light and life and love. And we're not to put our faith under a bushel or under a bed, but on a lampstand. That doesn't mean we need to be aggressive in our faith, but we need to be assertive and open 
and proclaim our faith. It's not just to be secret. And so many of our brothers and sisters, we think of those just murdered recently at mass in Africa. Um, their faith is manifest and they shed their blood for Christ. How often do we put our faith under a bushel basket or under a bed or somewhere, tuck it away? And they did this in ancient times too. In the book of Apocalypse, there's a group called the Nicolaitans. They're the bad guys in the Apocalypse. They're kind of smooth Christians. They're Christians in the, within the walls of the, where they're celebrating the Eucharist, but out on the street, they're, I don't know, not mine. It's just basically, it's uh, St. Peter, you know, saying, I do not know the man. <laughs> That's not it. That's not the way to, to go. Our faith is to be put on a lampstand, and Christ the light is to shine. And we need to let him shine through us, and eventually he will shine. He will be made known. And we need to be faithful instruments of his glory, to let our light be taken from Christ and let his light shine through us. And so that is a different and a more profound way of reflecting upon these words of our Lord, and probably they may well be closer to what he's challenging the apostles about. Is a lamp brought in to be put under a bushel or under a bed and not on a stand? For there's nothing hid except to be made manifest. Nor is anything secret except to come to light. If any man has ears to hear, let him hear. This is the epiphany. This is the feast of the presentation of the Lord, where the messenger comes suddenly into the temple. And Simeon finally thanks God for having allowed him to see the Messiah, the light to the nations, and all of Israel and the whole world. And that we are called to make manifest. And that's why the document on the church of the Second Vatican Council is called Light to the Nations. And that's what we are ourselves. On a lampstand, not under a bed or under a bushel basket. Not cowards. The shame of Jesus, embarrassed a bit by our faith? No. And he said to them, take heed what you hear. The measure you give will be the measure you get and so more will be given you. For to him who has will more be given and from him who has not even what he has will be taken away. There's something similar to this in other portions of the gospel uh, where we see that the person, for example, in the parable of the talents, where the one who was given many and invested well received great reward, and one who took his little talent and buried it in the ground had it just taken away from him because he did not use it well. And there may be, this may be part of what is, our Lord is saying to us here. And he said to them, take heed what you hear, the measure you give will be the measure you get, and still more will be given to you. We're to be generous, extravagant in our faith. I always think of the Renaissance Italian leader of Florence called Lorenzo il Magnifico. He was, wasn't piddly, he wasn't narrow, small, cheap. He was magnificent. He lived that kind of way in a purely secular way, but he got a lot of good art out of it. But we got more than that. We got to deal at a deeper level than that. But we have to be Christian il magnifico. We have to generously give. This is, this is like St. John, not, not Mark, St. John, when he reports of how the wedding feast of Cana. Jesus didn't just give a little, here's another little tiny glass of wine. Could you get me a little teaspoon of water and I'll turn it into wine? We have vats of wine, huge amounts. We're not to be narrow, cheap, or shriveled up in our souls. And so we're to live life to the full as disciples of our Lord Jesus. Take heed what you hear, the measure you give will be the measure you get. 
as I said, another portion of scripture, you know, uh, sort of bountiful sowing means bountiful reaping. Unless, as in the previous parable, the birds start eating the seeds, but that's another matter. Take heed what you hear. The measure you give will be the measure you get, and still more will be given to you. And so we need to live our life as Christians to the full. We need to spend our time in prayer and love. We need to reach out, as Pope Francis speaks of, to the people on the edges. We need to, to care and to, to live to the full. Not just dip our toe into our faith, but to dive in with full measure, measure for measure, great name for a play, measure for measure. Give a little, you get a little. Give a lot, you get a lot. It's that abundance. For to him who has will more be given. If we, there's a tipping point here. We reach a point where if we're living this way, we will receive more than abundance. But if we're living at a very narrow, shriveled, mean, way of being Christians, just not much. It eventually, there's not enough to, to live. It's just, it, that, even that goes. There's gotta be a certain, I don't know what you call it, a certain bulk of our faith for it to grow. There's a certain point at which it will flourish. But if we simply are really trying to live in a very mean, restricted way, I mean, you can't keep that up for long. You know, it just doesn't work. It just isn't real. And so even what you have will be taken away from you. Our faith is to be lived full measure, poured over, running over. Our cup runneth over. And why in this world, in which one thing we do not have a lot of is time, when tick, 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 and the sands are running out very, very steadily. We don't have a lot of that. That doesn't have an infinite measure, at least on this world. So why in such a brief passage through this world would we live our faith in a stingy manner rather than abundantly, fully, with full measure? And if we do that, with trust in the Lord, we will receive that from the Lord as well. And if not, a little faith will evaporate. I guess the old saying is use it or lose it. That's sort of similar to this too. We need to be to the full. So let's think about that and maybe apply this. What does it say in our own lives, each of us, on a personal level? I think this is more, whereas the, the first parable had a kind of a personal element, but it also talks about Jesus. This, I think, is mainly simply a, a challenge to us personally. Live to the full your faith. Don't be cheap. And he said to them, take heed what you hear. The measure you give will be the measure you get, and still more will be given to you. For to him who has will more be given. And from him who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Let that speak to my heart. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed upon the ground and should sleep and rise night and day and the seed should sprout and grow. He knows not how. The earth produces of itself. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. This is somewhat similar to the parable of the sowing of the seed, but it's different. This portion is only found in the Gospel of Mark. It's one of those rare pieces that's not found anywhere else very special. The kingdom of God is if a man should scatter seed upon the ground. There we have the seed, which is the word, it is grace, it is the presence of the kingdom of God. And we sleep and rise night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, he knows not how. 
there's something, it says, it's almost the word automatic. The earth produces of itself, which is the, in the Greek is sort of the same word as automatic. It's, it's of itself. And this may be a bit of a warning to us. You know, we think busy, busy, busy. I was never any good at, at growing things. I remember trying to, I, got, I thought the simplest thing to grow was a, would be a cactus. You can't go wrong with that. So I kept pouring water into it and I killed it. It's very hard to kill a cactus. I also once ruined a craft dinner, which is very difficult to do too. So I wouldn't trust myself in either the kitchen or the garden. But the thing is, you can, we can be too, this is also a good parable for micromanagers and you know, people check that plant, keep pulling it up to see how it's doing, you know. So, I mean, but it's amazing. It's, we don't make, well, this is like a line, it's a line in St. Paul. Uh, you know, one person plants and other waters, but God gives the increase. That's the, the, the motto of, of my bishop, uh, who ordained me a bishop, incrementum dat deus. That's, God gives the increase. Now one waters, you know, one plants, uh, hither and yon, goes to sleep, gets up, you don't know what's going on, you're doing your own little life, but meanwhile, under the earth, the seed is growing, <laughs> oh, there it is. And we do something maybe to help it, but it's growing. And, and so it is, this will become clear even in the parable of the mustard seed. So we should maybe be a little aware of that. The earth produces of itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. And we benefit from all that. So that is sort of how it works. There's a sowing of faith, of love, and it develops by God's grace above all in this world. We do our bit, we cooperate with that, up and down, day by day, night by night, as long as there are days and nights left till it's over. But then it all is the power, this great power of God that is driving all of this, that is the sea in which we swim, the air in which we fly, it is providence. One thing I know above all else is the providence rises before the dawn. That's, uh, remember that Providence Center in Edmonton, there was a line, I forget who said it, but it's, it's, very, it's very true on the wall, they wrote that. That's, that's very true. So we should, um, and that's why there's a great book by Dick Cossad called Abandonment to Divine Providence. You know, we're trying to have busy, 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 but one of the things we can do is surrender, be as, I think Kildegard of Bingen or somebody said, it would be like a feather on the breath of God. So that element may come into this. The kingdom of God as if a man should scatter seed upon the ground and should sleep and rise night and day and the seed should sprout and grow. He knows not how. And the earth produces of itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain of the ear. And so it goes until finally time's up. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. We have time to grow, to respond to God's grace. We have time on this earth for a while. Then the harvest comes. And it comes at a day, at an hour we do not know. And that's another dimension of this image of the kingdom of God that we should be attentive to. We surrender to God's providence. We thank God for his grace, which goes far beyond, as we're getting up and going to bed, it's going far beyond anything we can do. We need to cooperate with it. But there comes a time of fulfillment when the harvest is due. These parables pack a punch, as they're meant to, to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. This is what the word of God does. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown upon the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes the greatest of all shrubs and puts forth large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. 
So there it is. Again, the power of, of growth comes from God. So small, so insignificant, the smallest of all the seeds. And yet we should not be deceived by that. For within it is the power of life. The power of God's grace and life in our world. So often we want to build big machines in our life of faith, construct big things, maybe even as big as a scaffolding, <laughs> piece upon piece, kind of a simple way. You know, you put one piece on top of another and it kind of goes up. It's all something we do. But it's not that way. Just like the seed growing, we know not how, this little tiny thing which we can forget about, we don't seem to see it so important. It grows by the grace of God and it becomes a mighty tree. Even the birds of the air will nest upon it. It is the grace of God, the kingdom of God. This is to what we compare the kingdom of God. So maybe it's a bit of a rebuke and a challenge to us, especially in the church, you know, we're we're trying to do the right thing and plan and do all that kind of stuff, which we should because God calls us to do that. But we have to remember the grace of God, divine providence. We need to surrender to that and realize we're not in control as the way we think we are. We have to be attentive to that. That's why they always uh, say that any bishop would rather, that one of the greatest treasures in a diocese is not highly active people serving the Lord, but a, an order of contemplative monks or nuns. That's infinitely give you that more than anything else. And the same thing in our lives. The most important thing we do that is the fruit, the, 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 the root out of which the fruit of our actions come is our time of surrender and adoration before our Lord. That's why I wanted every parish in this diocese, the encouragement of time spent, obviously in celebrating the sacraments, but also in adoration before our Lord and the blessed sacrament, to be attentive to the power of the mustard seed, which is not in, in us alone. It's not in our actions, not in our plans, not in our buildings, it ultimately is God's grace which grows. And that's what we need to do. We need to encourage that and be attentive to that in our lives and not be just uh, building up an organization or get into a, what Pope Francis calls a worldly approach to things. We gotta try to really say, what are, why are we doing what we're doing? And is it really a surrender to God's will and trying to help other people to experience the glory of God so that we might more fully surrender to that and then be transformed to the action that is not busyness, but is fruitful because rooted in adoration and in a sense of awe at the presence of Almighty God. So what does this say to us, you or me in our own life? In the situation each one of us is in individually, and it may vary in our, it will vary from place to place, the exact way it applies to us. It will vary from day to day. <laughs> That's why we need to always be reading this. And he said, what can we compare the kingdom of God? And with what can we compare? What parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown upon the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes the greatest of all shrubs and puts forth large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. These are puzzlers to help us all, including to help the disciples struggle to figure it out. We need to struggle that way too. 
But, and he used them all the time. It's one thing Jesus, we always see. We see parables all over the place. Sometimes he has things like the Sermon on the Mount where he gives us more straightforward things. But even there, there are little parables. Parables where you put a, like it's a, a stretching thing, a puzzle, a, an image that challenges us, that provokes us. It's an image that provokes thought. It's not just straight, it's got an angle to it to make us puzzle and get engaged. So we're not just couch potato Catholics, you know, click, click, click. That's just deadly. We've got to be engaged in the, in the word of God, in the sacraments, in our life of faith. That kind of engagement which our Lord stimulated through the parables. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And the other boats were with him. And a great storm of wind arose, and the winds, the waves, beat into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care if we perish? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you no faith? And they were filled with awe and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with them. So we see our Lord with the disciples, apostles, heading off to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Together, heading off. He had spoken to the crowds, he had ministered to them, but now they were by themselves and that's an important thing to do when the people, as we're engaged in the, the mission of letting the light shine, we also need to be together in the boat together, the, the gathered, and reaching out to the scattered. But we need to be the gathered, gathered together around the Lord. We need that strength. That's why we have the Eucharist, so that we can come together to hear the saving word and to be in the boat of the church, which will be more clear once all this construction is done. This is the nave of the church, the ship of the church. We're all in the ship together. But it's not an enclosed self-referential ship. It's going somewhere, and it's active at engaging the sea around it. It's not just a little inward turning thing. It's got a it's moving. And so let us go across to the other side, us together. We need this, we need to be sustained. That's why it is good to spend time in adoration every day, to spend time going to mass, to come, to spend time in prayer and to be with others, to be strengthened in the faith. We are companions on the journey and our Lord calls us to experience his strength with him in the midst of us. But we never get away from the storm, evil, all the storms outside of us and the storms within. Sometimes they are more obvious as with all of our many, 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 many brothers and sisters who are facing violent persecution. The storm is clear there. We think of the way in which so many places, totalitarian states are trying to suppress the freedom of their citizens. We think of the Christians who are being kidnapped and killed, massacred in their faith. So the storm is great outside. The storm is not so dramatically, but is very real in the world here. And we live in less violent countries, but there's a storm there too, in terms of beating upon the family, beating upon young people, beating upon people of faith. There's a storm. Maybe we should simply um, install seatbelts when we do all this constructing this, this, so this church, you know, 
and the opening words of Mass will be, fasten your seatbelts. We're, we're in for a little turbulence here now. That's a very good appropriate uh, image of what we're doing. Uh, this is where we're meant to be. Uh, they always say a boat is safest when it's in the harbor, but that's not what boats are for. So we're meant to get out there, and, and many of our brothers and sisters are being persecuted in very violent ways that we are not experiencing. But if we are naive enough to think that we're going to go along and get along, well, then we're missing the point. If we are, we got a problem. And we are, we have to deal with more subtle dangers uh, at the moment anyway, than uh, the more direct persecution. So the storm arises, this great storm of wind arose, the waves beating into the boat so that the boat was already filling. Help. We can, from a human point of view, just like it's supposedly physically impossible for a bumblebee to fly, but it's certainly, when you look at the church, oh my gosh, when you think of it, storms outside, storms within, scandals, problems, oh my gosh, you'd think it would be gone. You know, the famous, uh, I think it was Napoleon or someone said to some bishop, I will destroy the Catholic Church. And uh, the bishop apparently said, well, we bishops have been trying to do that for years and we haven't succeeded, so <laughs> good luck, you know. <laughs> I, should, I think I can say that, you people don't, you know. <laughs> We can just try that. This is from Thomas, your unworthy bishop. <laughs> but, you know, all kinds of problems. And, and storms within our own hearts too, right? You know, sometimes the pain of whatever it might be. We, we've also, the little boat, it's like uh, Dante talks about the little boat of my genius. He's going on the sea, you know. The little boat we're bouncing around in of our own uh, life. And a great storm arose, and the waves beating into the boat, so the boat was already filling. Well, let's just think of that in our own life right now, each one of us. What is the storm? Maybe there's several. But right now, what's making, why do I have to fasten my seatbelts right now? If you think of being in an airplane bouncing around, what, or a ship bouncing around, whatever. What is the storm in my life? And let's ask the Lord to help us in it. And the boat was already filling, but he was in the stern asleep on the cushion, which tells you something. There's our Lord asleep in the midst of it all, calm. And they woke him and said, teacher, do you not care if we perish? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said, peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you afraid? Have you no faith? This reminds me once when I was first ordained a bishop, a few weeks after it, I was in Alberta going on this little tiny airplane. All the bishops of Alberta were in this airplane. There were about five of us. We were flying to a meeting. And on the way up, the pilot was very kindly flying us and he showed us the radar thing. He said, see that radar? That's, see all green it is? That's all green. Uh, that's good. If you ever see little red things, that's when I just avoid all those, so you're in good shape. I, oh, good, so look at the green radar. We're bouncing, we, we flew up, and on the way back, he, he actually invited me to sit beside him, but on the way back, he oh, no, you sit in the back. This is this little plane. I sit there, and, he, and I look through the curtain, and I saw this red radar thing. <laughs> and we were all there, and I thought, my gosh, I think there are five of us bishops here. And, we're, and then, then boom, boom, bouncing around, flying back and forth. If this ever goes down, we're gonna have six dead bishops because of the five on the plane and the nuncio too. And I think, oh my gosh, what am I gonna do? <laughs> but I, there was one of the bishops, I was thinking, oh dear, what's gonna happen? And I could see this red all over. And there was one of the bishops um, who was just very calm. And he just, you know, bouncing up and down. He just didn't seem bothered at all. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, we're gonna die. <laughs> and he was just calm as everything. Now it could be one of two things, I've never figured it out. It could be he was simply, didn't realize the seriousness of the situation. 
I, which is what I actually at the time thought might have been the reason. Or it could have been he was a man of such faith. Oh, you, have you no faith? He said, oh, Lord, it's in your hand. So it was calm, you know, it's going along. That's probably, maybe that was, he was a very good man, so that's probably what it was. Why are you afraid? Have you no faith? And that's a good thing for us to think about. You know, whatever the storms may be, you know, they all take different shapes and not always physical. Why are you afraid? Jesus is Lord. So calm down, you know, hop on the pillow and fall asleep or something, you know, just don't be, we can be so afraid we're losing control. At least that's very easy to feel that way. And we just need to have a little trust in the Lord. And they were filled with awe and said to one another, what then is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him. We need to be close to the one whom the wind and the sea obey and all the powers of evil. We need to surrender to God totally and not just in a trivial little way. For the measure of our faith, if it is great and our practice of love and hope, then the measure of great gifts will be given to us. But if it's just surface, superficial, tacky, and cheap. Then we're not gonna make it through the storm, let alone, we're not probably gonna make it through the, the calm, let alone the storm. And believe me, there are storms. And they're, we think they're bad now, they're, they're gonna get worse. There are all kinds of signs of that. And so we, we better think of that. I'm reading a book now called 1913. It's all the happy, happy things happening in cities around the world in 1913. Nobody had a clue. <laughs> There's going to be 1914 was going to be a problem. So we need to be attentive. And, uh, but it doesn't matter. 1913 or 14, peace or war. I mean, it makes a huge difference. But fundamentally, Christ is in the boat, whether in calm or in storm. Christ is in the boat with us. Christ is in the boat with us. The nave of the church. Christ is in the boat with us. That's why I know John Henry Newman, when he was being sued and could have been thrown in jail um, for libel, which was a false accusation. He was actually convicted by a crooked court. But um, in the tension he had, the fear he had, he was, oh my gosh, I'm going to go to jail. Um, he was living in a place, and he, just, he said, I am so grateful that I live under the same roof as the Blessed Sacrament, which was a privilege he had. It's a privilege I have, a privilege not everyone has, but it's something we need to make more available so we can come out of the storm and come before the Lord and maybe use some time to figure out what we're going to do, but mostly simply say, here I am, Lord, I come to do your will. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And he said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a bushel or under a bed and not on a stand? For there's nothing hid except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If any man has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, take heed what you hear. The measure you give will be the measure you get and still more will be given to you. For to him who has will more be given and from him who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed upon the ground and should sleep and rise night and day. And the seed should sprout and grow, he knows not how. The earth produces of itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe at once, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown upon the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes the greatest of all shrubs and puts forth large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. 
On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross to the other side. And leaving the crowd, he took with, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And the other boats were with him. And a great storm of wind arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care if we perish? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you no faith? And they were filled with awe and said to one another, Who then is this that even wind and sea obey him? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, amen. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end, amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.